This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, trash pandas, welcome to a new episode of Trashy Divorces. I'm Alicia. My name is Stacy. Carrying on with season 13 this week with two new brand new trashy divorces, taking our theme song Bloodletting from Concrete Blonde's seminal 1992 album, the title track, seemed fitting for our week of stories this week. It did seem fitting. Stacy, um, who are you bringing us? I have, you know, a little, little blood, blood-informed story, uh, Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob Thornton's brief early 2000s. Brief and illustrious. Illustrious wedding. Uh, you know, with, it was called to mind by the Megan Fox Machine Gun Kelly bloody engagement, apparently. It's a good story. You have uh, sort of an epic tale. An epic tale of Avon the Terrible and his eight wives and all of his destruction and damage. Everything is terrible. Everything really, really is terrible. Mm-hmm. Before we begin our episode this week... Let's pull out the magic mirror and give some big thanks to our newest supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash trashy divorces who joined us this week. Thank you so much for signing up. Heather F, Faith L, Molly W, and Christine A. We have two new super supporters as well, Megan D and Stephanie R. Thanks, thanks, thanks. So grateful for our Patreon people. Grateful for y'all to coming back and listening to another episode of Trashy Divorces. Stacy, I think I have a lot to think about. What do we got to do? Maybe we should go, go, go. So you're slicing the story a different way for us today, Stacy. Yes, I suppose I am. Yes. Alicia, there was big, big relationship news this week. Oh my, there was. I don't know if you heard, this is actress and model Megan Fox and musician Machine Gun Kelly. They made their extremely public relationship official when they became engaged. Huzzah. I'm glad he got time off from his job at the Foot Locker. It was nice to them. It it was a fun little Instagram post, which, you know, if you think putting a ring on it is all it takes to make love real, you are wrong. Fox's Instagram post ends, I said yes, and then we drank each other's blood. Nobody? Nope. 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 Friends- I mean, cool, if that's your thing, I guess. It's not my particular thing. Yeah. Live and let live, sure. I guess. Sure. Sure. Nothing bad ever happens from... Hey, friends, I don't know. I don't know. But if you are a person of a certain age, the blood drinking news could not help but call to mind the distant days of yore when a young Angelina Jolie and a young-ish Billy Bob Thornton raced to a Vegas wedding chapel to exchange vows after surprising the world with news of their relationship a whole two months earlier. Yeah, that was a wild year. What year was this? This was back in the mighty year of 2000, when the 21st century stretched out before us like an undiscovered country full of promise. So much promise. Happier times, indeed. We just botched the entire next two decades. Okay, we talked about Brangelina and Jennifer Aniston back in season two. 
And while I think their custody matter is still somehow unresolved, I'm, I'm not sure. Her marriage to Brad Pitt was not, obviously, her first marriage. It was not even her second marriage, come to think of it. But for Billy Bob Thornton, his stroll down the aisle with Angelina was his fifth what? marriage. <gasps> That's like a trashy all-star team combo. Yes, we're going to start with him since, aside from being our newest trashy divorces all-star, he has been married to his sixth wife since 2014. He is also, as you might guess from this, the older of the pair. Billy Bob was born August 4th, 1955. Oh, God, Leo, man. Leo, man. There you go. And he grew up in various places around Arkansas. He was one of three brothers. His dad taught high school history. His mother was a psychic. Really? Yes, people would come to their home and she huh. would do psychic readings for them. And he has talked about how his childhood was this kind of unusual blend of his father's Irishness. They were Methodists, not Catholic, but like kind of a traditional, you know, Irish background. And his mother had this Native American influenced spiritualism. And this really has contributed to many of the uh, eccentricities of... Uh, no, I get Billy Bob a little better now. That... Okay, I would think that he, makes sense. He has also reflected that attempting to sneak into the house as a drunk teenager with a psychic mother is not as straightforward as one might think. I can imagine that's true. After he graduated high school in 1973, he was briefly attached to the Kansas City Royals basketball team. He was a champion basketball player in high school or or a I don't know about champion. He was a, a talented basketball player. This is a man of constant surprises. Yep, but he had some kind of injury and the Royals cut him. So like his, his sports career ended before it could even really begin. Seems like he spent about the next decade trying to figure out what, or maybe who he wanted to be. He tried college, left that after a couple semesters, he tried marriage, but the first one ended in 1980 after a couple of years. A few years later, he wandered over to Los Angeles to try his hand at acting meaning that he spent a number of years in the Los Angeles area working odd jobs. <laughs> <laughs> he married for a second time in the mid-80s, another union that lasted a couple of years. But by the late 80s, his acting fortunes were beginning to turn. And then in 1992, he co-wrote and co-starred alongside Bill Paxton and Cinda Williams, to whom he was married from 1990 to 1992, in the critically acclaimed crime drama One False Move, and this movie significantly enhanced his standing in the industry. Like it was hailed as like the the it was this low budget thing. It almost didn't make it to screen, but word of mouth was so good on it that it ended up on critics lists. Um, anyway, so Billy Bob's busting out, starting to bust out. Okay, starting. Yes, uh, he married wife number four in 1993. I believe she was a Playboy model. That relationship would last through 1997, and of course, he had his breakout role in 1996's Sling Blade, which uh, he also wrote and directed. Mm -hmm. So this is a... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well done. So this is... It's one of those, like, sudden celebrity things for this guy who's been, like, working, working at, at, it, at for it for 20 years. years. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. But... There are rewards to sudden celebrity in Hollywood, and his reward was a small role in, wait for it, the 1997 coming out episode of the TV show Ellen, starring Ellen DeGeneres, which is where he met a nice lady named Laura Dern. 
Laura Dern was fresh off of her two-year relationship with Jeff Goldblum. I feel like we've talked about all of these people. This whole story is very much spiderwebs adjacent. Yeah. So very quickly, Billy Bob and Laura were head over heels for each other. I wonder if they got their toaster. (laughs) By 1999, they were living together. Life was great. They had a dog. And while Laura (laughs) was away filming something, Billy Bob abruptly moved out of their home and ghosted her. Oh, God. In 2000, she told Talk Magazine, I left our home to work on a movie, and while I was away, my boyfriend got married, and I've never heard from him again. Whoa, dude. Ghosted is right. It's like a sudden death. For no one has there been any closure or clarity. Poor Lord Ern. Yeah. So, Billy Bob had met Angelina Jolie. We should do the same. Angelina Jolie Voigt. Was born June 4th, 1975 in Los Angeles. Ah, Gemini girl. Daughter of actors John Voight, famously, and Marceline Bertrand. Her parents split up when she was a baby. She and her brother James lived with their mother as a tween. Actually through watching films with her mother, not necessarily because of her father's career, Angelina decided she wanted to become an actress. So she trained for two years at the Lee Strasberg Theater Institute. She was effectively bullied out of Beverly Hills High School by the rich kids there, transferred to an alternative school where she went pretty goth and decided that she wanted to become a funeral director. Okay. And she took at-home courses on embalming. Friends, follow your hobbies. This is... (laughs) Yeah, our Follow Your Curiosity book club is coming up on January 30th, Mm -hmm. but how does one take at-home embalming classes? How does one complete that practicum? Probably send you some formaldehyde and... I have questions. Tell you to find a willing victim. <laughs> Please continue your trashy story. She had a live-in boyfriend during this period when I assume she was still living at home with her mother, so... It was, a, it was a tough time in her life. The relationship did not work out. Angelina graduated from high school at 16, rented an apartment, and returned her attention to acting... Letting go of the funeral director dream. Mm, mm. Sad. You gotta, you gotta pick one. The world allows us many creative opportunities. It does. Angelina, just roll on, girl. John Voigt has quite famously had a difficult time being a father to his children. And it's likely that his dysfunction contributed to some of, most of, who knows, Angelina's self-destructive behaviors as a teen and young adult. She engaged in cutting experimented with drugs, struggled with an eating disorder, and once tried to hire a hitman to kill her. It was a difficult transition into adulthood. Wow. Young That's Angelina. a lot. Mm-hmm. Hired her own hitman. Tried to. Wow. Yeah. As she moved into professional acting in her late teens, she was kind of relegated to music videos for much of the early 90s because casting directors for films and TV found her demeanor too too dark. She was too... Too much. She was finding her groove, though, by the mid-90s, which is also when she dove into the marriage pool for the first time, wedding British actor Johnny Lee Miller in 1996 when she was all of 20. Wow. Mm -hmm. Shockingly, that didn't last. They split up at the start of 1999, which is the same year that she appeared in a little movie called Pushing 10, where she played the wife of Billy Bob Thornton's character. Oh, that's... And it begins. And it begins... She was apparently dating Timothy Hutton at the time, and uh, her divorce from Johnny Lee Miller was still ongoing, so clearing the field meant some messy 
ness on for both Billy Bob and herself. Um, a lot going on on the field. I think she even had to go to court to expedite the divorce, the conclusion of the divorce, so that she could race to the chapel with Billy Bob. Anyway, a lot happening. Then, dun, dun. <laughs> a tattoo of a dragon appeared on Angelina's arm with the words Billy Bob inscribed above it. And on May 5th of 2000, the couple paid $189 for the beginning package at Las Vegas's Little Church of the West Wedding Chapel. And 20 minutes later, were man and wife. <laughs> They'd only been publicly a couple for two months, although clearly things had been heating up for a bit longer. They quickly developed a reputation, perhaps best described just as TMI, just too much information. Both verbally and physically, they were sort of famously capricious in their making outs and being photographed. Um, yeah, I haven't seen anything quite like last year and all of the, the making out stuff since the, these two kinda, back in the day. Mm -hmm, yeah. In an E.T. appearance, for example, Billy Bob informed the world, I wear her underwear a lot when we're away and she wears mine. I don't know how Angelina's bras looked on him, but, you know. I mean, we switch hoodies around. I guess it works. An ABC News piece, which was talking about the process of adopting her first child, which happened while they were married. Um, Angie, of course, has six children today, three through international adoption. So there's a mandatory U.S. Immigration Service investigation and there's a home visit. And, you know, they're evaluating the fitness of the parents before they can adopt internationally. Anyway, quote, at the time, one could be forgiven for having a few questions about Mr. and Mrs. Thornton. After all, Rolling Stone magazine had just declared theirs to be America's most dangerous marriage. They famously wore long silver chains with lockets containing each other's blood. They kept a pet rat in a cage in the bedroom. And for their anniversary, Angelina gave Billy Bob a grave plot. I think they actually mutually gifted each other a grave plot. I guess that is more of an anniversary gift than something you'd sign up for on your wedding registry. Yeah. Great plot. Interesting. Yeah. Not a great birthday present, but yeah, anniversary. We'll be together all time. Ah, yes. Those vials of blood that they allegedly wore around each other's necks. One of the hottest gossip topics of 2001 or whatever. The story has followed both of them ever since, and people ask Billy Bob about it even now. In a 2014 Q&A at Loyola Marymount University, a student asked, and Billy Bob answered, as written up in Vanity Fair, quote, Vial of blood is very simple. Angie came home one day with a kit she bought, which is a, you know those lockets you buy that are clear, and you put a picture of your granny in it or something like that and wear it around your neck? So that's what it was. She bought two of those. She'd had all that at-home embalming practice. She wasn't afraid to do that. We were apart a lot because she's off making Tomb Raider and I'm making Monsters Ball. We were on opposite ends. We see each other for two weeks and whatever. She thought it would be interesting and romantic if we took a little razor blade and sliced our fingers, smeared a little blood in those lockets, and you wear it around your neck just like you wear your son or daughter's baby hair in one. Same thing. From that, we were wearing quart jars of blood around our necks, and we were vampires, and we lived in a dungeon. Oddly, that is a very sweet rendering. Mm -hmm. I get it. I, I can get how that, if that's your thing as a couple, would be very, very sweet. Sure. 
this definitely is not how it was portrayed in the press no, at the time. No, not though. at all. Not at all. Yeah, they, yeah. Uh, it was also during the filming of Tomb Raider on location in Cambodia that Aggie fell in love with the country. And later on a visit there as a goodwill ambassador for the UN Refugee Agency, she decided to adopt her eldest child, Maddox, who is now 20. He obviously became a passion and organizing principle in her life while Billy Bob, already a father of three from his earlier marriages, and of course in a very different phase of his life in his mid-40s, turned his attention to music, released a country album in September of 2001, and went on tour. Well, like you do. Come on. There were rumors that he was living the typical road musician life. Chatting it up with the ladies. He denied this, believably or not. I mean, of course he denied this. For herself, Angie was asked about the rumors that he was cheating out on the road and was quoted in the press as saying, I don't think they're untrue. Wow. <laughs> in any case, when they announced their separation in June of 2002, just another long and happy Hollywood marriage, two years and a month, it also came to light that only her name had appeared on Maddox's adoption papers, which had gone through in March. So clearly they had been on separate pages for a while and uh, in a pretty significant fashion. Like, not agreeing on adopting a child into your family is certainly... A pretty significant difference in marriage. Significant. Mm-hmm. She would later say of his feelings about the adoption, he wasn't... Uh, ready, but uh, he sent me his love. It's kind of tragic. After their split, she and Billy Bob did not stay in touch, at least in the early years afterwards. It seems like things may have thawed between them since. It's been two decades. They work in the same industry, you know. Billy Bob has said in recent years that they're good friends and that, quote, I never felt good enough for her. Angie has maintained a relationship with his son, who was like under 10. He was like a little kid during their marriage and says that she was a really fun stepmom. And, you know, he gets Christmas presents from her and they talk on the phone sometimes. Oh, that's nice. It is nice. So that is previous it couple, Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob Thornton, who spent those halcyon days at the start of the century scandalizing the public with outrageous tales from the romantic fringe. But to the best of my knowledge, they did not formalize their engagement by drinking each other's blood. Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly, good luck with your nuptials. May things go better for you than your blood locket-wearing forebears, and definitely better for you than the enemies, spouses, and children of Alicia's subject this week. I don't have a number of trash cans to award here, but one or more of them are filled with clear plastic lockets smeared with 20-year-old blood. That seems right. Holy cats. I'd forgotten almost all about that. <sighs> Been a minute. Yeah, they were they were stuff back when the <laughs> They were stuff. They were stuff back when the twenty first century might have been good. <laughs> well done, Stacy. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back we will be talking about a different kind different of kind of trashy divorcee. Whoa. See you on the flip, y'all. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. 
Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing? What do you mean? I'm Just keep it simple. I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Brav Bros, two guys that talk about Bravo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No. Oh. Dude, stop with the voice. Just the vo- keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Brav Bros. Good job. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check them out at betterhelp.com slash trashy. Stacy, both you and I have benefited from therapy in our lives. And over the last couple of years, I've appreciated my BetterHelp counselor so much. Therapy can be a little like scheduled maintenance on your car, keeping everything serviced to prevent bigger issues down the road, or like the quick check you do before making a big road trip. Making sure those tires are inflated and your fluids are topped up is not that unlike strategizing with your therapist to make the most of something stressful like a job interview. Think of therapy like routine maintenance for your emotional and mental wellness. It doesn't mean something's wrong. It means you're investing in yourself to keep your mind healthy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not your mind? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Trashy Divorces listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Trashy. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com slash Trashy. Alicia, you're bringing us a short primer on Russian marital discord throughout history. A little bit. So we started a new series on Patreon this week. We started Trashy Romanovs, and we began with Peter the Great. Less great than you might think. God, Peter's trashy. <laughs> but it made me want to do a little deep dive into the 16th century of Russia, and I feel like I have been fairly rough in my assessment and treatment of Henry VIII hmm. over the years. That's interesting. What I, what prompted that reevaluation? Well, a girl does have her favorites to despise, but... I need you to know that Henry VIII and Yvonne the Terrible are contemporaries. Both are married six times, if not more. Yvonne has two more than Henry. Both are obsessed with having sons. Both are megalomaniacs with some real penchants for cruelty. (laughs) But Yvonne, next level. Whoa. He has a long reign from 1533 to 1584. Yvonne has eight wives. It all goes badly. Very, very badly. He's going to leave a mighty large body count in his wake. Mm. Estimates for Avon the Terrible, death toll in between 60,000 and 220,000. The numbers are difficult to estimate, but it's a a bunch. It's a lot. Okay. Henry VIII, on the other hand, ruled 36 years. Mm -hmm. His estimated kill numbers... (laughs) Are 57,000 to 72,000. Amateur. (laughs) What I'm saying is Yvonne the Terrible is a megalomaniac. He's a monster. He's a tyrant. He's a triple threat. Mm. Even though he's technically Yvonne the Fourth. (laughs) He's a triple threat. Okay. But but probably a very sweet family man, right? 
No. This might also actually be a lesson in teach your children. Children really do do what you show them. And well, Yvonne is kind of a victim from a terrible childhood and it turned him rotten early. Let's get into it. Yvonne is born August 25th, 1530, and his father is the Grand Prince of Moscow. And daddy was married for like 20 years to a very loyal and faithful wife, but after two decades, no matter what treatments or interventions she did, she was still unable to conceive. Hmm. No kids, and that's just not going to do. So Ivan's dad dumps his princess wife number one, locks her up in a convent, and will proceed to marry a 16-year-old Catholic girl. And the Russian Orthodox Church is not quite as into this as you might think they would be. And the priests will curse this union. They will condemn Ivan's father's sin and say, you will have a wicked son. Your state will be prey to terrors and tears. Wow. Rivers of blood will flow. Cities will be devoured in flames. It's quite a prophecy wow. for you, I mean, kid. It's funny because on sort of this end of, uh, of Rome, <laughs> this side of Rome, the idea that being Catholic would not be good enough <laughs> is just interesting. Okay. Well, it's going to take four years, but new wife Elena does get pregnant. It is said that she conceives through black magic, assisted hmm. by Flemish witches. It's always Flanders. You got to keep your eye on the Flanders. Belgium. It is in an August summer storm that Avon comes into the world. Avon's father dies when he's three. And now Avon is proclaimed great prince of Muscovy. Mm. Moscow. Sure. His mother, Elena, is regent for, for him. Well, he's three. Oh, exactly. But like we have seen a lot of women who get into power, doesn't go great. Sure. Oh, I bet the church was outraged. Not the church. It's the Russian nobles mm. who are called the boyars. B-O-Y-A-R-S. The boyars are like, nah, dude, this isn't going to happen. So at the age of 27, Yvonne's mother, Elena, is poisoned. <laughs> Yvonne's governess is arrested. Good Lord. Poor little Yvonne is eight and is now going to have a six-year period of being very ill-treated mm -hmm. by the boyars. They only bring him out for formal functions. He has to beg for food. He's totally ignored. He's neglected. He is abused when he's out of the public eye. The Russian nobles just need to prop him up and take his power. This is like a very healthy setup for a... Healthy adult. Mm -hmm. It's a bad childhood, mm -hmm. no doubt. Mm -hmm. And Yvonne begins banging his head on the hard ground in mm -hmm. front of religious idols at an early age as kind of a coping mechanism. Yeah. He will proceed to do this throughout his life, literally giving himself head trauma. He will repeat this behavior throughout his life in times of stress. Also, when he's feeling stressful, he will throw dogs and cats mm. off the highest roof he can find. Nope. There are no less than 14 people that are close to Yvonne growing up that are murdered just for being near the kid. 
Often these executions, deaths, murders are done in front of the boy. So again, you do what you see. And by the age of 14 at Christmas, Avon has kind of had enough. A little incandescent ball of fury. Well, there's a big gathering. They bring him out. And Avon will at this time at 14 declare all the boyers at the court guilty of treason. But says if this one bad dude, this guy I really hate, takes the punishment for all of you, I will not kill y'all. Y'all can decide for me to kill this one guy or I can kill everybody. Up to you. I'm sure the one guy heroically offered himself. Yeah, no. The rest of the crowd grabs that one dude and immediately drags him to the kennels where he is fed to the dogs. Good God. So a fun way to start a holiday. Real Game of Thrones stuff here. Yeah, yeah. Fun holiday times. Nice little Twelfth Night. Yvonne is now in charge. At the age of 16, Yvonne is crowned in his own lavish little ceremony where he is crowned and he's coronated not just the Grand Prince, but the first Tsar of Russia. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, congrats, man. Yeah, it's good. It's good. He wants to be the emperor of the third Rome. Rome being Rome number one. Sure. Constantinople being sure. Rome number two. Yvonne, kind of a big deal. Naturally, he needs a bride. Well, come on. So there is <laughs> what we would view today as an open casting call mm. for all the ladies to come to Moscow. Okay. First up, sweet baby Anastasia. Wife number one dies by poison or illness. No one really knows. Now, after Yvonne Decides that he's a man now and needs a bride. Is going to do something super fun. It's called a bride show. This is where all the eligible ladies come and get paraded, inspected, rejected, you know, for suitability. Mm -hmm. Do you know if this drew, like, were the noble houses of Europe sending contestants to this pageant or? This particular one had 1,500 women. Oh, my God. Okay. In this bride show. Okay. Anastasia's dad and uncle are members of the court, and Anastasia is a Romanov. She Hmm. is how the Romanovs get into the line. The line. She is the connection point, Anastasia. Okay. Again, 1,500 gals strutting their stuff out for the new czar. And out of all the competitions, sweet Anastasia is selected, and the two are married in 1547. Every other noble at court hates her. Now, their daughters naturally weren't chosen, but also they think Anastasia's pedigree is beneath the worthiness of Avon. So there's some trouble, but Anastasia is good for Avon. This period is described as the happiest in his life. They are married until her death in 1560. They have six children. Sadly, only two of the six, both boys, survived to adulthood. Okay, I'm going to tell you about one of those kids. Both boys. Well, there's another son, and I want to tell you about this son, because his namesake is going to have a a part in the story later. Yvonne and Anastasia want to get on a boat, and they bring the baby, and everybody tells them, don't bring the baby, and the boat gets shipwrecked, and the baby's wet nurse drops the baby off the boat. So that's how not just illness in general bad conditions, but 
It's bad. There's there's definitely some tragedy. This is, yeah. <sighs> Anastasia will bring the golden age of the court. She loves her husband. She soothes him. They seem to be very well suited to each other. She makes him nicer from that earlier kid who is dropping animals off rooftops. You have my permission not to mention that again. <laughs> Fun dude, Ivan. He's going to have St. Basil's Cathedral built during this time, his marriage to Anastasia. Fun fact. Ivan loves the... <laughs> Ivan loves St. Basil's Cathedral so much. He's never been more delighted with any of his building projects. Ivan will gouge the eyes out of the architect who builds it. So that guy will never design anything as beautiful again. So cool, dude. This is terrible. I mean, you imagine this guy, this poor architect, he wakes up one morning. I got the commission of a lifetime. Yeah. He builds the most beautiful thing that's ever happened. Honey, I can't wait to show you. We're just about finished. It's beautiful. I'm going to be praised forever. Going to be blind forever because you work for a tyrant. Just be medium good at your job. <laughs> never be extraordinary. No, no, never, never go for the extraordinary at your job. Just good enough to stay hired. There's real lessons here. You didn't hear how I've messed up that plumbing, man. <laughs> you got no idea. <laughs> All right. So after 12 years of a relatively happy marriage in the summer of 1560, Anastasia's ill and her illness is untreatable and Avon is helpless through her suffering. He thinks that she's being poisoned by the boyars. Ivan will make sure that several of the boyars are tortured and executed with no real proof that she was being poisoned. Although in later forensic examinations, her hair was examined and there was found in her hair high, high levels of mercury. Although back then... you. Exactly. Yeah. Mercury was used medicinally to treat things too, but these are abnormally high levels that you would find outside of medicinal use. So okay. who knows? At the age of 29, sweet Anastasia passes away. And her passing will cause a psychotic break in Avon, which is literally the last thing he needs. Her death changes him. Remember, he lost his mother to poison too. So he's lost his the one thing that keeps him tied to something good in the world. This is where he'll begin to tear out his hair. Hmm. He begins banging his head again. Uh -huh. Also, upon her death, he will destroy his entire home. All the furniture, all the goods, all the materials, just widespread destruction. Coping. Coping well, well. Ivan is convinced that Anastasia was done in by his enemies. Mm -hmm. So his break that happens is a terrible story. The psychotic break that happens will make him even more cruel. There are a number of noble families, lines that have been around for thousands of years, simply wiped out during this period. The closer you are to the czar, the more dangerous it is for you. Ivan is now a widower. He has two sons. He needs some more. So let's meet wife number two, Sweet Maria. <laughs> Sorry, Maria. Sweet Maria is death by poisoning. So now back when Anastasia was on her deathbed, she made Yvonne promise her one thing before she died. I just need you to do one thing for me, babe. 
Thank you for our good life together. But after I die, you can get married again, but just do not marry a pagan. Okay. Yvonne does not keep that promise. And Maria is escorted to court. She's the daughter of a Muslim prince. And at the age of 16, looks pretty good to the almost 30-year-old Yvonne. This is the year after Anastasia's death, and Yvonne is so captivated by Maria's youth and beauty and his perpetual need to have another son that marriage it is in 1561. Maria is illiterate and not sweet at all. She's kind of a spiteful jerk. Hmm. She's a terrible stepmother of the boys. The court hates her. She never settles into court life, and like many women, that hold any power in history, Maria is naturally accused of being a witch. I mean, obviously. Now, one nifty thing that happens in this period, Yvonne in 1564 is like, all right, I'm packing my bags. I'm going to go out and visit my monasteries. I'm on progress. See you later. But he doesn't. He really just runs away. He packs his crap and he takes off. And once out of town says, I'm not coming back. I'm going to go tend bar in Aspen. I'm out. I'm done with this. This is a power play. It'd be a ski bum. Yvonne is trying to teach the boyers that you don't want to control this. So I'm going to leave you with the problem. And naturally, the boyers beg him to come back for a lot of reasons. But this turns out to be a terrible idea. Yvonne comes back and says, everyone is plotting against me. And I will come back, boyers. I will come back. But only if I can be an absolute monarch. That's condition number one. Oh, I see. Condition number two, if we can meet number one, that I can be an absolute monarch, then condition number two, I need my own private military force. I need total authority over everything and everyone, and I want to get this goon squad of low-life chuckleheads to help me achieve this aim. I'm sure in his own mind it was like a Praetorian guard, but yes, I'm sure in practice he's going to have like this elite... I wouldn't say they're elite. He's really pulling from the dregs of society here. For some dumbass reason, the boyers agree to this. And welcome to something called the Aprichnina. The soldiers in the Aprichnina are called Aprichnikis. Okay? Okay. All right. I applaud your efforts to pronounce all of these Russian words. I did a lot of listening. I know you did. Okay. The Aprichniki are like 6,000 of these creeps that Ivan has found to be his stormtroopers and carry out his evil plans. This is a sizable force. 6,000. 6,000. Wow. Aprichniki. Mm-hmm. They have complete and free reign to terrorize whoever they want to. Fun. No rules, all in the name of the Tsar. Fun times in Russia. Maria, wife number two, is given credit for this idea. And the Aprichniki, I'm imagining mobster, go pl- ahead. plundering, right? They're yeah. The Goon Mobster Squad goes on for about seven years, and during this time, Ivan really does begin to not only develop but also improve on his long-tested and true ways of torture. He's also going to invent some new ones too. He's really upping his craft Good. to some next level shit here. Hmm. Fun example from 1570. Yvonne will sew the archbishop of this town that he's pillaging Mm -hmm. into a bear skin Mm. and then let dogs loose to hunt and kill him. Mm. 
Okay. He's not called Ivan the Cuddly. He's not. (laughs) All right. Within the nine years of this marriage, Maria does have one son, although that son dies inside of a year. In 1569, Maria, at the age of 25, dies by poison, probably most likely administered by her husband. Oh. Although Yvonne will blame, torture, and kill 20 servants for Maria's death. (sighs) Just seems wasteful. So in between 1547 and 1569, Yvonne has two wives. Not terrible. I mean, he is. But 22 years, two wives. He's 41 now. You know respectable-ish. But it's time for wife number three. But before we get wife number three, I need to tell you about a little something called the Massacre of Novgorod. Happens in 1570-1571. Ivan suspects this whole damn town of treason. No one in the town is doing any treasoning. They just happen to be starving because there's a famine mm-hmm. everybody's just really, really hungry. Mm-hmm. But Ivan is going to come in and execute... 2,000 to about 27,000. Numbers are unclear. Thousands are also tortured. Also on the way out of town, Yvonne burns 90% of their fields. That seems an overreaction to a bunch of people being hangry. Well, what is there to do but have another bride show? Oh, my God. Come on. Like, you could have just shipped grain or something. (laughs) Wow. New bride show, mm-hmm. whole new string of fine, fine contestants. Marfa is chosen from 12 finalists in this particular bride show. The game is afoot. Marfa is the daughter of a merchant. And maybe the best Ivan can do now that he's killed off a lot of noble families and the ones that are left might not be real super keen on putting their daughters out there. Now, Marfa has a very ambitious mother that is priming Marfa for fertility once the wedding does take place. Or so mom thinks. What mom is actually doing is poisoning Marfa. Oh, good. Because 16 days into Yvonne and Marfa's honeymoon, Marfa's dead of fertility elixir. Oh, my God. No one knows, really. But the marriage, 16 days, she's dead. Inside of two weeks, some kind of poisoning. Toxic fertility elixir. Wonderful. Marfa in, 1571. Marfa out, 1571. No, it's just straight mercury, but you will absolutely (laughs) conceive. (laughs) Well, naturally, Yvonne tortures and executes a lot of other people for Marfa's death, too. Including Maria's brother, his second wife, just because because. he's impaled over Marfa's death. (sighs) Now, something to note here, one of the runner-ups in the bride show that Yvonne does not choose is chosen to marry his son. Okay. Okay. So, at the age of 16, Yvonne's son is married to one of daddy's cast-offs. Just put that on a post-it note in your brain somewhere. Okay. Now it's time for wife number four, Anna Kay. I'm not even going to bother with the long Russian names because everybody from this point out is mostly named Anna. So Anna Kay, sweet Anna Kay. Now, Yvonne wants to get married again and the church is like, whoa, buddy, we really need to talk about this. We'll give you one marriage. We'll even give you two. But a third marriage is an outright violation of the Russian Orthodox religion. 
We gave you that third marriage with Marfa just because we felt like it. But this fourth marriage you want is impiety. This is what animals do. We will never condone this. We can't do it. We will not allow it. And Ivan must have sweet Anna Kay. So he says to the church, listen, guys, I promise this is the last one. You really should let me have this one because Marfa was so ill that we never got to sleep together. So technically that one doesn't count and I should get a do-over. This is the one that would technically be be my third. So you should let me have it. Mm -hmm. The church somehow agrees to this bullshit with some penance and some trade-off. They're like, Yvonne, you have to miss mass. You can't go back to mass until Easter. And Yvonne's like, oh no, punish me some more. Yvonne is going to go ahead and marry sweet Anna Kay without the permission of the church anyway. And they go off to remember the town that he massacred 90% no fields yeah. two years before. That's where they go for their honeymoon. That's another power play. Nah, I just wants to check the rebuilding projects, mm-hmm. I suppose. So after two years of marriage, poor sweet Anna Kay has not conceived. And Yvonne is like, wowza, that'll never do. I need new ovaries around this place. So sweet Anna Kay gets sent to a convent. Mm-hmm. Now, Anna Kay does survive. She is one of Yvonne's hmm. two wives of his eight to outlive him. Hmm. So she is our survived. Now, Yvonne hasn't tried that abdication thing for a minute. You know, it's been like 11 years. So 1575, he abdicates again. And you'd think that the boyars would learn by this point, but no. Ivan takes off, runs the bar in wherever, comes back 1576. Time for a new bride. Now, if Yvonne did not have the blessing for marriage three and four or three and a half, whatever, he certainly doesn't have it for marriage number five. Hello, Anna V. Oh, God. (laughs) There's not a lot known about Anna V's background. But Yvonne and Anna marry in 1575, no church blessing. Poor Anna V, two years in, no son to show for it. Anna V, off to the convent. Which in this case, I need you to translate to imprisoned and tortured. So unlike wife number four, Anna K, wife number five, Anna V, does not survive. She meets a violent death in her captivity. Jeez. More than likely on the orders of her husband. But like clearing the field for our next contestant. We're on to wife number six. (sighs) Vasilisa M. Vasilisa is the widow of a war hero prince. And again, Avon must have her. And he thinks she's kind and beautiful and they marry in 1579. But alas, this one doesn't even get the opportunity to not conceive because Yvonne finds out she is having an affair with another prince and, well, there's punishment. Is the punishment fatal? Uh, Yeah. Yvonne is going to force Vasilisa to watch her lover being impaled. Oh my God. And then Yvonne is going to send her, Vasilisa, to live as a nun where she will die from mysterious causes, much Mm. like Anna V, wife number five. I told you Yvonne is perfecting his cruelty game. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're not done. Maria D is wife number seven. This is 1580. 
And Maria D is a descendant of the founder of Moscow. She's got royal blood and, well, youth for a reason. But Yvonne discovers that Maria D is not a virgin on the wedding night. Yvonne also discovers that Maria D has a lover. And it is into the water with Maria D. She is drowned. And goodbye, wife, not so lucky, wife number seven, 1580, in and out, Maria D. I mean, you'd think that the nobles would just be sending their daughters as far from Moscow as they can. We got wife number eight. Mm-hmm. Wife number eight is Maria N. 1580, same year as Maria D, wife seven out. Maria N will survive as well. She's 28 years old when she marries a 51-year-old Yvonne. And Maria N will provide at long last Ivana's son, Dimitri. Dimitri is named after the first child that was dropped off mm. the boat all those years ago. Okay. Yvonne and Maria N, everything's great. We're going to take a little detour in 1581. Yvonne's son is also named Yvonne. <laughs> so we have Yvonne daddy and Yvonne's son. Mm-hmm. Yvonne the son is married to one of those sweet girls that was daddy's cast off in the bride show. Right. Back in like wife number three. Right. Yvonne the son has married Eudoxia. And she had already been pledged in marriage. And would have been happy in that marriage, but no, it was to the bride show that she went back in 1571. And naturally, the union between Eudoxia and Ivan the son is expected to produce an heir quickly. And this doesn't happen. Eudoxia, out. She's sent to the convent. In comes another bride for Ivan the son. This is Prescovia. Again, she's not successful with the baby boom, so it is off to the convent with her too. Wife number three for Ivan the son is also arranged, helpfully by Ivan the dad. And here comes 1581. Ivan the son is going to marry Elena. And Elena is pregnant by October 1581. Huzzah. But in November 1581 at court, Ivan dad gets pissed. He's literally at this point consumed with madness. And Ivan Daddy gets really mad that Elena is wearing light clothing, whatever that means. Well, at least he had a good reason. So Daddy Ivan is going to physically assault his daughter-in-law, which will cause death to the child in her womb. Oh, my God. Ivan the son hears his wife Elena screams and goes to her defense. Natch. Ivan the son's pissed. And here he goes. He lets it all fly about his first two wives and what a real dick you are, dad. Now they're in a real fight. All the hate, all the things you'd never want to say in the heat of the moment. Ivan the son is saying to Ivan the dad. father who is consumed in madness. Yeah. And this is where Ivan the dad will take his scepter and strike Ivan on his head and render him bleeding on the floor. Yikes. Where Ivan the dad proceeds to throw himself To cradle his dying son, may I be damned, I've killed my son, I've killed my son. Oh, Lord. It will take four days, but Ivan the dad does kill Ivan the son. Not that Ivan the dad won't spend that whole week praying incessantly for the resurrection of his son. So that was another fun holiday time at court. 
I feel traumatized just having heard this story. Now, Ivan's really done it now. He's got no heir. He did all of that for nothing. Anyway, wife number eight, Maria N., is as good as she can be. <laughs> we got a fun real spiderweb twist coming up here. Maria N., no matter how good she is, it's not going to stop Yvonne from making another play here. And it is to Queen Elizabeth I that Yvonne appeals to. And he writes her a letter and he's like, listen, I will totally divorce my wife number eight, Maria N., if you would like to send your cousin, Mary Hastings, over to Russia to marry me. Mary Hastings is a Plantagenet. She is from the line of George, Duke of Clarence, who was the brother of Edward IV, also Malmsey Wine, mm-hmm. drowning guy. Mm-hmm. At this time, Mary Hastings is in England in her 20s and is still unmarried, mostly through an unfortunate series of circumstances, all involving William Cecil, Lord Burley. Anywho, Mary Hastings is a cousin of the Queen also a Plantagenet, royal blood. Yvonne the Terrible thinks this is a terrific idea. So he's going to send an ambassador to England to report on the physical status of Mary, like an international bride show of one. Also, Yvonne needs a portrait of Mary Hastings made while the ambassador's there. Now, Elizabeth I, at this point, could use Yvonne as an ally. But she will not commit to meeting with his ambassador. She says Mary Hastings has smallpox. Painting her picture would just be downright rude. She's very sensitive about her scars. Bessie One manages to put the ambassador on hold from September 1582 to about May 1583. When finally the meeting does occur, accounts will differ. But apparently Mary Hastings, with a bunch of other ladies at court, walk around the garden enough times for the portrait painter to get what he needs. (laughs) Ambassador takes a back off in June, heads back to Russia, and has been given instructions from Elizabeth I to dissuade all ideas of this nonsense. Mary Hastings is not well. She is scarred. She also doesn't want to leave England and her friends. But alas, until... Yvonne's death in March of 1584, poor Mary Hastings is called the Empress of Muscovia. Like she's betrothed to him. She'll die ever before marrying in 1589, but until his death, she's considered betrothed to him, Mary Hastings is, even though he's got a wife number eight. (laughs) Oh my God, are y'all exhausted? Okay. So yay! Yvonne dies in 1584. Leaving, remember wife number eight, Maria N., along with the son, Dimitri, they're now sent into exile. Dimitri will die about seven years later under peculiar circumstances. Maria N., wife eight, is blamed and sent to the convent. Released only under the condition, this is tricky, she agrees to go along with this new scheme the boyers have which is propping up some random kid as Dimitri, like Dimitri isn't dead. Maria ends like, of course, that's my son, Dimitri. But this ends up in history being called the false Dimitri. 
and false Dimitri, this poor, rando, strange child, is killed by an angry mob after he gets into an interfaith marriage. (laughs) At this point, Maria N. is like, that is not my kid. She will live, though, till 1608, outliving Yvonne by 24 years. So wife number four, wife number eight, both survived. The other six have terrible ends. All right, Yvonne, for his part, does not age well. By these last years, he is being carried around in a cart like Henry VIII. He also smells terrible because he's taking a bunch of painkillers. He also has a barrel of mercury in his room that he's just straight up drinking like punch. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing with mercury poisoning and mercury overdose is there are many emotional changes that come from that. And we've already seen Avon's natural charm and personality. So add to that a cauldron of mercury in his room. Yeah, heavy metal poisoning. Good for you. Symptoms of mercury overdose do include mood swings, nervousness, irritability, and other emotional changes. Avon's hope for the future are done. He essentially unravels at this point after his son's death. He will never, not once, accept any responsibility that he caused any of this. You know who he blames? The death of wife number one, sweet Anastasia. It was her fault for dying. If she hadn't have died, none of this would have happened to me. It is all her fault. I mean, I guess you tell yourself what you got to tell yourself. Avon will eventually lock himself in his room to play chess all day, where he will either A, die of a stroke in a game that goes badly, or B, is strangled to death, tough to tell, in 1584. You'd think all that was pretty bad for Russia, but it turns out the next stage that's coming is ruled by Ivan's other son, Theodore, and it is called the Time of Troubles. So, super fun. How could they tell? (laughs) Ivan the Terrible, as trash cans go, I'm going to award him 60,000 to 220,000. That's good. Honestly, whatever number of people that he killed... Hard to estimate, really, but whatever those number of souls were, that's the trash can count for Yvonne the Terrible, truly, truly terrible, and his eight wives, given Henry VIII the run for his coinage I feel, in the 16th century. I feel like Ivan wins this particular... Hands down. I feel like I might have been a little hasty with Henry VIII. Sorry about that. Yvonne's worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 16th century dirtbag. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Let's all <laughs> shake our hands a little. Maybe go take a shower. Wash that man right out of our hair. Be nice to your kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Be nice to your spouse. Whoa. That was a lot. That yeah, was a real journey. That's, wow. All right. That's trashy divorces for the week. Woo! Before we head out, I want to remind everybody on Patreon, we got our dumpster dive coming Monday, ad-free trashy breakups coming to you on Tuesday. Remember January, we are delving into trashy Romanovs and Catherine the Great is coming this week. Excellent. Nightcap chat, always on Thursday. I got a new episode of Done and Done coming out too on Monday. 
We're continuing our two Mrs. Grenville's series about the death of Bill Woodward. And also, a little catch up on Love Letters 2, the daily podcast dedicated to wonderful and unexpected things. Our episodes over this past Monday through Friday, so good. It was a fun week over there. Beverly Johnson, Eunice Kennedy Shriver in the Special Olympics. There was one about Truman Capote's first swan, Carol Saroyan Mathau. There was one about the first bra patent made by Mary Phelps, otherwise known as Cress Crosby. Also, we ended up on Friday with a little episode about Mr. Potato Head, the first time a toy was advertised to kids on television. So lots of other listening if you need us between now and Wednesday when we're back for Trashy Breakups. Thanks, everybody, so much for tuning in to this episode of Trashy Divorces. We'll be back with brand new Trashy Breakups on Wednesday. Holy cats. We love you. We can't wait to see you then. Just go scour those hands, friends. (laughs) Clean hands. Trashy hearts until we meet again, darlings. Have a tremendous week. Bye, everyone. Bye, y'all. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacey and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy y'all.